help stimulate the middle class with music. Stop pressing CDs. What is the reason people don't hit publish? Fear. Consistent quality content. Hey guys, Vance and I want to answer your questions. Hit us up on Twitter at Vance Fight and at Tom Dupree the Third, and use the hashtag Music Stuff Show. Whether it's an idea for an episode or you just want a quick reply, we want to help. Welcome to the Music Stuff Show, where we break down the business of music to help you build a career doing what you love. Hello. <laughs> this is weird because I know that I'm always going to be on the screen. Yep. There's no hiding now. <laughs> There's no getting away. Like while you're talking, I can't just be like texting or pick my nose. I mean, I guess I could. I you can, you can do it. Just be real about it. Right. Okay. If uh, if you're listening on the audio podcast, we're trying something new today. Uh, Tom and I are experimenting with a, a Skype call, uh, remote version of uh, recording an episode. We yeah. we as we've talked about in the past, are wanting to do more interviews. Uh, and while it is cool, and we like doing them in person, and there's a lot of value in that, and it's fun to be in the the same room and be able to slap each other and stuff like that. We also realized that there's a lot of people that have a lot of value that are not in the same city as us. Uh, some of which we're talking to right now, trying to set up some times to try and bring some super cool people to hopefully bring a lot of value. So we decided to experiment ourselves and test it out and give it a trial run. So feel free to let us know. Is it better? Worse? Do you hate it? If you hate it, it's still probably going to happen when we have other people. But, you know, it's just good to know. We can always try to make it better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're, we're going to have to do the remote thing if we want to have cool people who don't live in Nashville on the show. It's but true. But we can, like, if this isn't good enough for you, <laughs> we can uh, definitely try to up the production value a little bit rather than just simply recording a side-by-side Skype call. Yeah, so. let us know what you think. Always trying yeah. to make it better for you guys. Always trying to find new ways to bring more value. And if you're on the audio podcast, well, it should be just about the same. So you're welks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got a fact for me? I do, Sorry, but I, I cut you off. You were no, say no, else. you're okay. I figured we should get all the house cleaning stuff out of the way on the front end. Okay. Uh, and I did remember one other thing. Uh, some of you may or may not have noticed in the past week or so, we no longer have a Facebook page. Uh, we haven't had an Instagram for a while. Uh, basically, we decided to streamline. We we realized that trying to just like have things in different places to have them wasn't really providing a whole lot of value. And so we decided to simplify uh, to where you guys know exactly where to go to get what you want. So if you want to see the video version of our show it from here on out is it just going to be on the old youtubes just go search for the music stuff show or it's always in the show links and uh if you want to talk to me and tom just hop on the old twitters uh yep. which come at us directly rather than there is no at was, music stuff show anymore yeah. uh we felt like that was good music stuff show you can hashtag that. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes uh, we don't, which is a Twitter thing. And I, I don't know why, because I've seen tweets about. that have the hashtag, but then don't pop up when we search for it. So your best bet. <laughs> we <laughs> always try and respond. We always care that you listen. So, uh, 
yeah, just hit us at the old at Tom Dupree III or the at Vance fight because we always want to help and just wanted to get that out of the way. Let you guys yeah. know. I think uh, the main reason when we were talking about doing it was getting rid of all the other little pieces was that initially when we started the show, we thought that we would have the show like as an entity that people would come to. But then over the course of however many, you know, almost 50 episodes that we've done now, we've realized that the value is in people connecting with us personally rather than like a quote faceless brand so yeah. we just wanted to turn everybody to come to speak to us directly and have the music stuff show is like the vessel through which people can find us yeah or one it's, of the vessels it's just a thing we do we just want to add yeah. value we don't want to hide behind some entity if you right. want to talk to us just blow us up we'll talk to you we're nice people That's, i think <laughs> i i think <laughs> yeah so yeah just wanted to let you guys know. Let's try to make it even easier to get to us. Not Holler at your Facebook. boys. <laughs> I'm going to hesitate on what I wanted to say. Because if you can't <laughs> say something nice. <laughs> That's fair. <sighs> oh, yeah. I did have a fact, though. And I'm honestly super excited about today's fact. Uh, okay. I hope I know it. Man, I'm going to be so sad. It's still so <laughs> cool, though. So I don't even okay. care if you know. Uh Still, I'm riding the space theme hard, guys. I'm, yeah. I'm just embracing it. But did you know, if two pieces of the same type of metal touch in space, they will permanently bond? I knew that. I hate you. So <laughs> it's not true. I don't hate you. Yes. But <clears throat> Apparently, I'm like packed with more space knowledge than I knew. If, if anything, uh, <laughs> it just shows that don't call it a hobby. How far Tom and I go down the space rabbit holes yeah. in our own personal time. I didn't know this one. This one was new to me. I found this this morning. Uh, but for those welding, right? Man, that's literally <laughs> for the kids at home that hopefully are surprised and intrigued and learned a little bit about space science today. This incredible fact is also known as cold welding, and it happens because the atoms of two pieces of metal have no way of knowing they are separate. This doesn't happen on Earth because of the air and water found between the pieces. Just swipe <laughs> smug look off your face. <laughs> You're remote. You can't. <laughs> Guys, I'm just – here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start – starting the show and i'm not going to get tom on until we've made it through the fact because yeah. he's stealing the thunder but i hope you guys are excited i'm about. destroying the facts you, i mean you, if you switch topics maybe you start doing facts about sea turtles or something then maybe i'll know less mm -hmm. go master roshi on it yeah exactly or just go japan we love japan and i could go deep japan on japan too maybe yeah, japan, see, would be japan i feel like i uh I've got a couple more strong space facts that I think everyone else needs to know, even if Tom already knows them. <laughs> but after we make it through those, I, uh, I'm a, maybe Japan will be next. Because y'all, I do love the Japan. That'd be a good one. I'm, I'm down for an education station on Japan. Yeah. That might be next. <laughs> all right. All the nonsense, all the house cleaning aside, what are we talking about today? So, today... We decided that we were going to take it way, way back to square 0 0.001. We've been doing a lot of stuff 
uh, in the past several episodes that sort of applies to people who are mid to upper mid level uh, as far as career is concerned. And we started out the show doing a lot of very low level, easy entry information for our listeners who maybe you have just gotten into music or maybe you're not even into it yet and you're considering hopping into music. And we wanted to come back and talk to that crowd again and try to always be. We know that our listener base and our viewer base is very broad. People who are already making a living making music and people who have never picked up an instrument and are just curious about it. So we want to make sure we're providing value to everybody. So today is an effort to provide value to the people at the very beginning. And to do that, we have put together a list of common job titles, terms, descriptions that we are simply going to get through so that you know all what all of these jobs do, what they're for, and that way you can learn from our embarrassing moments where when we were kids and somebody said, yeah, go grab me a roll of gaff tape for Monitor World, and you mm-hmm. looked around like, what does that mean? Yep. You won't have to have that moment because we will have told you what Monitor World is. Exactly. So full disclosure, if you've been playing music for a while, if you're in a band that's played some shows, you know, you've been doing this for any length of time, this might not be the episode for you and you're not going to hurt our feelings. Uh, but we did want to prioritize the guys and girls that are at square one and let you know that we don't forget about you either and we care about you and want to set you up for success. Uh, So without further ado, I think we're probably just going to scroll through this list that we have made together. Uh, It kind of, a couple things to note before I I think we dive in. Uh, Number one, uh, there can be a lot of fluidity in a lot of these titles and roles to where some of the stuff that we're going to talk about and some of the people and jobs uh, at one point in time, 20, 30 and beyond years, uh, people were typically pretty specialized and they do this one super specific thing. Like a person is a producer and a person is an engineer. Uh, and nowadays on, you know, if there's a bigger budget, sometimes you can still have all these individual people, uh, on the more indie side. Now you can have somebody that is producing their own thing and engineering their own thing and mixing their own thing. So, This is more just kind of uh, to set up what each individual job is, but know that some people might do more than one job nowadays. Uh, We've also kind of separated it into categories of music. Uh, And again, these can overflow into other things, but pretty much between roles in music creation, roles in the recording process, roles in the industry side of things, and roles in the touring world, because we felt like those... uh, were the biggest categories that probably hit the people that listen to our show. Uh, There can be more. There's other areas. We're not really going to dive into cinema and film because, honestly, that's not our expertise. Uh, Maybe one day we'll bring somebody on the show and let them kind of tell you for us if you guys are uh, into the cinema side of making music or if you want us to find somebody to come talk about that, let us know in the old comments or tweet at us. Uh, But, yeah. I think that's all the things we had to set up so everybody can be successful on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Launching <laughs> off. Music creation. I feel like... Category. Category. Most people are going to know these, but we wanted to address them just in case. Yeah. Uh, first up, 
a band. What's a what band, Tom? What is a band? A band is a group of two or more people who have decided to make music together. Pretty much what it is. Now, it, when you get into award shows and stuff, they will they'll classify it as duo or group. Mm-hmm. So they have that or in there. But a duo does pretty much loosely classify as a band, depending on who you ask. Some people will differentiate it. If it's three or more, then it's a band. That's that's valid, too. But for all intents and purposes, our description pretty much is two or more people who have decided to form an organization and make music together. That can be a band that co-owns or a band for hire. Whole different ways, a whole bunch of different ways to do it. But it's more than two people, two or more people who get together to make music. Absolutely. Uh uh, to kind of caveat into the next one, which is an artist who is a individual that is the brand of music. Mm-hmm. Keith Urban is an artist, a country artist. Right. Metallica is a band, you know, a group, and, and an Keith entity. Keith Urban has a band. Exactly. Now, the band that tours and plays music with him or the band that plays on his record in the studio is not necessarily Keith Urban. They are just a right. band that backs him as an artist. Right. Um, but yeah, biggest difference, they're all kind of the same in terms of whether uh, who is the entity that is outwardly putting the name on the music. Right. Band, you got a group. Artist is a singular individual, rapper, singer, whatever. Totally. Like... Uh... You know, Boys to Men would be technically a band. They would probably be referred to as a group, not a band, because they're all singers. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, So the terminology can change. But uh, to keep it country, like Keith Urban's an artist, Florida Georgia Line, because there's two of them, would technically classify as a group. And they would probably be called either a duo or a group, but not a band in the circles. But... They are a band. Yep. So that it's also, an interchangeable word. And then that band has a band that plays with them. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> like you wouldn't say these guys are an artist. You yes. would say they are artists who are part of their collective band or group. Correct. Yes. Right. Moving on. Songwriter. This person doesn't have to be in the band. Not at and all. They don't have to be the artist either. If, if anything, ju- no, no, go, go. I was going to say, if you're just starting out, this may shock you to find out, but there are people who earn their entire living and sometimes an incredibly good living, literally just writing songs, never playing on stage, never recording anything. They just write songs. And there are a lot of people out there who make a damn good living doing just that. They really now, do. There are. Um, generally speaking in my experience you can correct me if you're if i'm wrong or if you know something different but in my experience you will more often find songwriters and artists collaborating to create than you will songwriters and bands usually bands like i guess it also depends the very dependent on genre that's what um, I was going to say. Yeah. I've, so when you get into the rock world and the punk world, 
uh, usually your songwriters are members of the band. When you get into the pop world, then you're more apt to find a songwriter who is not the artist or part of the band. However, usually the artist will be a co-writer on songs. And in the hip hop world, that happens more often than not because people write their own verses. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's a funny thing. There is different levels of pride in different directions on songwriting based on genre. Like you were saying, a, like a rock band, typically there is a point of pride of the group made this song, this package. So they want to write the parts that go in the song. They want to write the lyrics for the song. Then, like Tom was saying, you've got pop music where really there's no negative connotation with that, where the pop artist is known more for being a performer, uh, their ability right. to sing to where sometimes they write the songs as well, but also they have no qualms uh, with brand of if somebody else wrote that song and they just perform that song. Totally. In country music, it tends to be more of like a collaborative process where people take pride in, I wrote this song with this really big songwriter that's well known as a songwriter. Right. Uh, you know, and then in rap, uh, you're kind of uh, ostracized if you don't write your own lyrics. Like somebody can do the hook because it's just right. the hook. But if you don't write your own lyrics and can't spit, then you get demonized pretty quickly in hip hop. Yeah. So it's different. And it's funny that people have different expectations of that and where country is super proud of being able to say, oh, I was able to write with this really great writer to make a great song. Yeah. And then you've got hip hop that's like, we'll crucify you if you didn't write your own lyrics, if you brought on a ghostwriter kind of thing. And then, right. you know, the rock bands in the middle that are like, no, we don't want anybody to touch our stuff because it's our thing. So I want to touch on that real quick because we don't have that written down, but you just said the term ghostwriter. Mm -hmm. This is an important one as well. So a songwriter is someone who writes or co-writes and to co-write means you write it along with someone else and a list of co-writers can be a mile long mm -hmm. like i have seen recent pop hits that have 50 writers on one song and that can also incorporate producers getting writing credit which we will get to that later um players getting writing credit for writing certain licks um anyway uh a songwriter is someone who writes a portion or all of the song and gets credited with having written it. A ghostwriter and that songwriter gets paid royalties on the song. A ghostwriter is someone who does not receive credit. They write the, a portion or all of the song, but you will not find their name anywhere. In fact, they've been paid a fee for their name not to appear mm -hmm. because they want to attribute in the public eye the songwriting credit to the band or artist and not let anyone outside of their very tight inner circle know that that artist or band didn't write that song. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. that's what a ghostwriter is. And it's uh, actually pretty common. Yes. Surprisingly. So, yeah. but when you get paid with those people get paid, right? <laughs> There's a lot of money and, in that world. <laughs> and, 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 and back end deals, very across the board when it comes to that as well. So a back-end deal is how you get paid based on the performance of the piece. Mm -hmm. So if a song sells a million records, you get paid a portion of each record sold. You make a lot more money than if you just paid a flat fee up front. Like if you get a flat fee up front and no back-end, then 
the album could sell one or a million copies, you don't care. But if you get a portion of the back end, you care how many records sold, how much mm-hmm. it streams, whatever. So, and all of that compensation varies for depending on the setup for a ghostwriter. A songwriter is usually uh, a standard sort of thing, but uh, ghostwriters can be a little bit different. Absolutely. Yeah, it depends on the setup. Next one. What's a DJ? Well, fans, a DJ stands for disc jockey. What's a disc? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> if you know what that is and you press one and listen to this show, I'm going to find you. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say it again. Stop pressing CDs. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so a DJ is actually a DJ can be a lot of things now. It is. Um, it really it is. used to be. I think it used to just be somebody who spun records scratching back and forth mixing for like parties and live stuff. Right. Mm. And then it has slowly evolved into not just someone who does that, but uh, it can be somebody who, who like is a radio host on FM Mm -hmm. or AM. Like that's referred to as a DJ now. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also you have people who are like, like Skrillex and Zed Mm -hmm. and Calvin Harris, who in reality, these guys more than anything are composers and producers mm-hmm. I mean, even even chain smokers to a certain degree are of the dj world mm-hmm. because i believe it's just the title that is ascribed to an edm artist more often than not is just to simply blanket them all as a dj when in reality they're more producers and composers than they are actual djs there's a very minimal amount of them up there actually scratching and flipping records yeah, I while well, we're going to get to producers in just a second, I would say that uh, at least in the EDM world, it is almost interchangeable, except when they're performing live, they're a DJ. <laughs> and when right. they're in the studio making a song, they're a producer, uh, even right. though they're pretty similar to what's going on. Yeah. And EDM is electronic dance music, if you don't know. If you don't Again, know, now you 101. know. 101-101-101. Listen, we want you guys to be confident when you show up at your first show. Dude, for real. And not sound like you don't know what's going on. We're looking out yeah. for you. Yep. All right. So, obviously, that can spin off and get super niche for no reason. Uh, mm-hmm. People love to compartmentalize in many things. But more or less, music creators, those are the big brackets of Oh. Add in two small subcategories that just popped into my head. What you got? Um, when it comes to songwriter, there is an author and then there's a composer. And mm-hmm. you're going to run into this when you're inputting songs in your um, PRO, which is a, what is it, performance? Performing rights or, organization. Performing rights organization. Sorry. See, even I forget. Um, and that's either ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. Uh, basically, sidebar. Sh- we're going to do an episode completely dedicated to that coming soon yes, because if you don't know what any of those words just meant, that's a whole <laughs> bigger yeah. category. Yes. Wait for the next one. Yeah. So anyway, well, in the realm of songwriting, there's an author and a composer. An author refers to someone who writes lyrics, and a composer refers to someone who writes music. Mm-hmm. Most songwriters are both. Some are not. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving forward. Absolutely. So that pretty much hits our segment of music creation. 
Moving on, uh, we're going to hit the recording world and taking your song that you wrote and created with your band artist, songwriter, or DJ, or ghostwriter, and putting that uh, to a recording that is no longer actually on tape or anything like that, unless you want to pay a lot of money to say you put it on tape. Uh, You did this in a (laughs) DAW on your computer. (laughs) Right. First up, what's a producer? A producer is so dependent on genre now. Uh, For the most part, a producer is the person who oversees the recording process. They can be hands-on, they can be hands-off, but they are the person who is in charge of the recording process, at least while they are involved in it. There can be multiple producers on a project nowadays. There can be one producer on a project nowadays. The artist can be the producer. The artist and songwriter can be the producer. Um, In the hip-hop world, producers are often songwriters at the same time and get songwriting credit because they're the one who writes the beats. When you write the beat, it's the same thing as writing a song on acoustic guitar. So you're a songwriter, but you're also a producer because you're recording that beat. You're setting up the session, you're dialing in the tones, figuring out the sounds. So it can apply to a lot of different things, but overarching, it is the person who is in charge of the recording session at any given time. Yes. I like to think, if this is a new concept for you, to me, I think the simplest way to think about this is like, this is the captain of your ship, where a bunch of other people doing other things, but you are the one leading the direction this recording is supposed to go. I also think it's a good comparison to like the coach of the team. You know, you might be the players that are getting on the field, but they, a really great producer's job is not to change who you are or what you are as an artist. A really great producer takes your vision and makes that vision better than you could have made it on your own. So they right. take your song that you wrote that was good and is the sounding board to be like, this part doesn't make the song better, so let's take that part out. Or, oh, this part of the song is missing something here, and it'll make it a greater song if we add this there. They're the person that's just there to lead the squad to make whatever your song is and your vision is the best that vision can be. Right. That's what I like to think about it as. Yeah. Um, They often work or can also be an engineer. Yeah. What's an engineer, Tom? So an engineer, usually, well, the new school way of doing things is a producer is also an engineer. The old school way of doing things is a producer is hands off and gives direction and their engineers do the work. Really successful producers will have multiple engineers. An engineer is basically uh, an office assistant in the in the recording studio. I mean, they kind of are. They're the person who's actually turning knobs, unplugging and plugging in microphones, setting things up, running the session in the software. They're the person who's doing all of the things. Now, in in the new school way, a producer is the engineer, and they're both giving direction to the artist and doing all the things at the same time. And if it's somebody in like the EDM world or something like that, they're literally doing it all. They're, they're artist, songwriter, producer, and engineer, and they are doing all of the things. 
and basically have condensed the entire first two categories we've talked about into one thing. And oftentimes they will hit the next two categories in this subcategory that we're about to lay on as well. It's true. Uh, so to kind of caveat to the next one a little bit, they the engineer is trying to get the source of the music like your guitar, your drums, they're the ones, like Tom said, doing the hands-on turning of knobs. They want to get the source material, the sound that's coming out of your instrument to sound the best it can, coming into the recording process. Now, right. once you've recorded this whole song and the song is done, then you take all of that stuff that you recorded to sound the best that you can make that sound, you hand that off to a mixer. And the mixer, Tom... Is, and the mixer is oftentimes referred to as a mix engineer, mm-hmm. which means they are also an engineer. So put it this way, like you, a, an engineer is engineering or crafting the sound of your performance. Mm-hmm. That's what engineering is, right? You're creating, you're figuring out, you're doing like the legwork to see all of these small pieces become this big thing. Like an engineer would engineer the construction of a building it's the same thing you're doing with your music now a mix engineer is someone whose job is to focus solely on mixing all of the already recorded material putting it uh around the stereo spectrum where it needs to go eqing pulling out certain frequencies boosting certain frequencies compression all of those different elements when a song is recorded it sounds one way and you want to make it sound the best you can. But only after the mixing process does it really sound the way that your listener is going to hear it. The mixing process is the thing that really can make or break a record, in my opinion. So if you've never been in a studio before and you have never kind of seen this process take place, uh, when you listen to music on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you choose to listen, that song is a singular audio file that you just hear as one piece of musical information. When you are recording, every single element is its own thing. So uh, you can have a guitar track, and that is one file of audio. You can have a bass track, one file. Vocals. So uh, on some of these huge pop records, by the time you're done recording, there can be 100, 150 200 audio files that make up one three-minute song and so really it is the taking all of that sonic information uh and making that play well together and finding uh sonic space for everything to live and sound the best that it can sound and that's what the yeah taking all of those hundred pieces of musical sonic information and crafting them into one audio file that sounds great when you play it through your speakers yep that's exactly it from there after your song has been mixed it moves on to the mastering engineer this is a process that even people who anybody who's at the top of the game knows how important it is but even people who are in the mid to upper mid level of the game do not like people will overlook the mastering process. The mastering process is a is a very very it's a critical part of crafting your song before you release it. 
because the mastering process, first of all, ensures that your song is the same or similar volume uh, compared to all other songs that you would listen to it alongside. So when your song appears in a Spotify playlist, the song before it is one volume. If your song is unmastered, this song is going to happen and then your song is going to come in and it's going to be way quieter. And then the next song is going to happen. It's going to be way louder. Well, the way the, the human ear naturally perceives things is that when it's louder in context, it's more exciting, which means your mm-hmm. song is going to sound dull by comparison. So the first thing mastering does is it brings it up to proper volume. The second thing mastering does, which is really important, is it rounds out the entire EQ spectrum of your track of that single audio file that the mix engineer creates. So if you have every instrument that has its own unique EQ spectrum, equalization spectrum, and then the mix engineer blends them all together into one thing that has its own, as an entity, unique EQ spectrum, the mastering engineer then takes this EQ spectrum and rounds that out further so that it sounds great as one cohesive unit. And that allows them to compress it and bring it up to volume so that like the hi-hat doesn't magically just disappear when it's brought up to volume because you've, you've rounded out some EQ so you can compress it so that everything is volumed and feels good as a whole. Yeah. It's basically the final secret sauce. A lot of people, uh, I feel like finally it's starting to get a little less mystery and people be a little bit more open about the process. Ironically, mastering was kind of this realm of music for a long time that the people that did it and do it well don't Mm -hmm. talk about, don't tell people what they're doing. It was like this whole, they were very protective of their thing. Uh, Yeah. So it always felt pretty mysterious, but pretty much what Tom said, you are rounding out those final details, making it not that radio is the goal anymore at this point, but radio ready, uh, Spotify ready, iTunes ready, ready yeah. for the world to hear uh, in context around other music. It's That's it's like sauce. it's like the glue. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever seen the thing that always has made the most visual sense to me in trying to explain mastering is if you've ever seen um, that demonstration where people talk about like prioritization or something in life and they take a glass jar and they put a few big rocks in it and then they mm-hmm. put a few smaller rocks and then they fill it with some pebbles. And then at the very end, they take a, they take sand and they mm-hmm. fill it up and that sand fills in all the little places. And the whole point of that exercise is if you put the sand in first, it won't all fit. Mm-hmm. But if you put things in in their right order and you put the sand on top, it fits perfectly, right? Yeah. When they pour that sand in and it packs it tight and everything's perfectly proportioned, that's mastery. Nice. Uh, I actually threw in one extra one that I was thinking of while we were talking. Uh, okay. Specific to the hip-hop world that we kind of low-key dipped our toe at, but beat makers. Uh, yeah. Which is funny because if you uh, – guys that are – girls that are starting out and new to the game – usually call beat makers and producers the same thing. If you talk to the guys in the top of hip hop, uh, even though they might not ever explain it super well to them, there is a very clear difference between a beat maker and a producer. And in the hip hop world, the difference is anybody that, you know, can take an NPC or just make a beat that sounds cool. 
is a beat maker. Like you made the beat, you're a beat maker. In the hip hop world, the difference is, do you know how to take that and add and take away to create a full song that's not just, I loop these eight to 16 bars for three minutes. Right. You know, and when you're starting out, most people take those eight, 16 bars and loop it and that's their track. And that's cool because, you know, a rapper will then take that to their producer and then they work with that to create a song. But in the hip hop world, you probably start as a beat maker. And the more you learn how to really translate that into a full song, one day you'll become a producer in their eyes. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, we have now reached the next section of our segment, which is the industry folk. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, number one, uh, if you've been listening to our show for any amount of time, we have a certain perspective on this first one out the gate, but got to yep. talk about it. Uh, Tom, what's a label? Record Don't label. I want to get signed? Tell me, Tom, what <laughs> no, do they do? <laughs> a record label is derived basically from the label that would appear on the package of your recorded music a long time ago. And it's it was basically the same as saying there's a Coca-Cola label on this bottle. That's how I know what's in it is good. And that's how I know I'll like it. So if a certain label appeared on your record then you could trust that it was going to be a certain sound or that you were going to like it or not um and that has obviously morphed a fair amount over the years but a record label basically is an entity that uh invests into and then in return receives profit from the work of a band artist etc standard sort of style record deal is that a label will provide you with an advance um, to purchase a controlling interest of your business. So maybe they'll give you $200,000 to own 65% of your business. They'll make 65% of the profit from your business after they have recouped their $200,000. So the first $200,000 you make will go back to the record label. And then from there, you will make 35% of all monies, and they will make 65% of all monies. But the reason people take that bet is because if you make 35% of a million dollars a year, it is a hell of a lot more than 100% of $20,000 a year as an independent artist. And that's why people take that bet. The other thing, too, I think, uh, and we're kind of in this transition of, a, what labels look like right now, uh, and B, the value and why uh, it is really easy to make a record now. You know, if you want to talk 20, yeah. 30 years ago, it was very, very, very expensive. There was no just, if you own a laptop, you can make a record. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, signing to a label in the 90s really could change your career because you as you and your four homies uh you make a band you probably don't have two hundred and fifty thousand dollars unless you all were lawyers and decided to become a band (laughs) to pour into okay it cost a lot to make a record well you made that record okay 
CDs are relevant. It costs a lot to print CDs. Okay. Like you didn't have the resources to facilitate all the things you needed to do. The internet technology nowadays uh, has made all of that accessible. We talk about it all the time. If you have a laptop, you can make a record. There are so many resources that you don't have to have a thing. As long as you'll just do it and put it out, you know, it, first one might not be perfect, but you keep showing up, you keep doing it. Eventually, you get way better at it. Um, so that is also another factor as to why uh, for so long there was such a stigma of got to get signed, got to get signed, got to get signed, because otherwise you weren't able to actually make the music. Well, I mean, it even used to be that you the ability, the technology wasn't even available to demo out your song uh, unless you had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So a record label would come in like the only way you would get signed is by playing live shows. You'd write mm-hmm. your songs, you'd play them live and a record label uh, representative, an A&R person, which we'll get to next, would come to your show, see you live, say this band's got something or this artist has something. Let's sign them to a deal and pay for them to record an album that so that everyone so that way more people can have access to the beauty of their live show through recorded mm. work. That's basically yeah. what you're doing. You're recording the live performance to the live show to give more people access to that performance. And that's what a record label would do. They would finance your recording and the production of your vinyl and your eight track and your CD to get into the hands of the consumer for a large portion of ownership of your business yes uh thankfully finally it's been a long lull but people are starting to evolve the uh, what a label looks like uh we talked about a music couple weeks ago i'll link that episode if you haven't checked that out they're doing super cool things we uh we've been talking to their founder diego about getting him on the show so i'm sure he'll tell you even more great things about it once we get that finalized but uh Yes, that is all of that is the reason there's always been such a stigma, but also the reason it's not the same that it once was. And you can go a lot farther on your own before you give away all of that ownership to what you do. Right. But as Tom teased, moving on to the next person, A and R. I think that stands for arts and repertoire, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it's either. Uh, the joke on the uh, inside of the business is it stands for airplanes and restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> the job of an A&R person is first and foremost to find bands and artists to sign to a record label. They are the minions in the streets looking for talent. So an A&R person is a, 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 ostensibly a talent scout in the mm-hmm. world of music. The same uh, like somebody goes to scout high school baseball talent football talent whatever this is what an a&r person is for music yep so what will happen is an a&r person will discover a band or an artist they like they think has something they'll present it to the the powers that be at a label if the label decides that that a&r person is right and they want to sign that person that a&r person gets uh a portion of that deal Every artist they find and the label subsequently signs 
that A&R person draws a portion of all monies ever earned by that artist. So the person who signed uh, Michael Jackson still gets paid every time a Michael Jackson song is played because they're the person who found and signed Michael Jackson. It's probably the person who found and signed the Jackson five. That's a different story. Um, so an A&R person will be a part of the discovery and signing process. After that, the A&R person is part of the recording process. They are in the room when the album is being made, helping to make decisions, giving their opinion, even when it's not asked for sometimes, about how they think songs should or should not go, what decisions should be made. And for that, they get a portion of the proceeds from every record they work on as well so they are putting in sweat equity up front with the band or artist to receive money on the back end but at the same time and i'm trying to sound objective here they are also getting paid a salary by the record label to do that job as well mm-hmm. so that's an a and r person if you want a record deal is your friend you want A&R people to come to your show because you want them to go back and report good things to their record label. Absolutely. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> Tom, cool. hit, that, hit that on the head. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we move on next to the publisher. The publisher. What's a publisher, Vance? Uh, I feel, what's the best way to say this? Uh, Someone that tries to get your music in stuff, I think, is the easiest way. So if you want your song in a movie or a Honda commercial or a uh, the Olympics theme song or anything or on some or that you want an artist to record it and vice versa. Absolutely. Basically, they are an agency that is a mediator to uh, get your song heard places Outside of just traditional, you want your song on radio. They yeah. are kind of the connector. They uh, hold a library of artists and a catalog of work. Uh, in in the same way that Tom was mentioning that going back to if you're a songwriter. So in the same way that getting a record deal for a band was always the goal for a really long time. If you're a songwriter, their golden ticket per se is they want a publishing deal. Because they want to be on staff, which is essentially what's happening when they get a publishing deal. Uh, A publishing company pays them X amount of dollars as a salary to write songs. And that's their job every single month. And then on top of that, for doing this, the uh, publishing company gets this library of music uh, that then they can pitch to bigger artists. And so that's really like how those guys facilitate making a lot of money. So if you're a country writer, those guys, every single day of the week, writing a country song, writing a country song. And then every single month to their representative at their publishing company, they're just sending a catalog of demos. They're like, here's the 12, 15, 20 songs I wrote this month. So then that way, when XYZ, when Keith Urban, back to rolling with him today, Uh, When he comes and he's like, hey, I'm doing a new record. I'm looking for songs for my new record. Then the publishing company is going to be like, sweet. 
here's our country catalog. They've got somebody that's probably an intern that has categorized it by like the feel and what artist it probably sounds like. So they probably have an entire Keith Urban-ish country artist folder that they're going to be like, hey, here's the best 10 songs that sound like what you're trying to do. Why don't you check these out? And then right. hopefully Keith is going to take one of those songs, record it for his record, and then that songwriter is going to make uh, royalties based on how that song sells. Right. So the uh, a publisher works very closely in conjunction with uh, producers and A&R uh, representatives to uh, connect artists with their music. Mm-hmm. Uh, a songwriter will sign a publishing deal. Like you said, they get paid a salary, but they also have the opportunity to make back-end money on any song that gets cut by an mm-hmm. artist. So if Keith Urban, if I write a song and I sign a publishing deal and I get paid $30,000 a year, and in return, I am required to write 100 songs. Uh, in addition to that $30,000 a year, if Keith cuts one of my songs, I also get paid the writer's credit on the song that he cuts. But the publishing credit is owned by the publishing company more often than not. It's usually how it works, especially mm-hmm. for first-time signings. If you have, if you happen to get a cut without a publishing deal and you have more leverage, you can negotiate something different possibly. But usually what happens is a publisher will sign you to a publishing deal to own all of your publishing rights, but you still keep your songwriting rights. And a song is split 50-50. Half of it is attributed to writing, and half of it is attributed to publishing. That's just the definition. It's how they do it. This is another so, thing that's going to double back for that PRO conversation. That's, that's a whole yeah. other animal we'll dive into. Exactly right. So uh, a publisher will work with songwriters to get the best music out of them. And then an A&R will draw on their relationships with publishers saying, I need, like, I mean, they'll get specific. Like I need a song about drinking beer by a lake in the summertime on the back of a red pickup truck for Keith Urban that he wants to release in X month as the first single for his new record, which drops in X month or in mm-hmm. Y month. And, uh, any publishers that he has a relation, he or she have a relationship with, will say, "I have these three songs that meet those criteria. Here they are," and then they will pick the song that they like. Or it might sometimes a producer can serve as A and R, and then they'll make that same phone call. But a publisher is an intermediary between the songwriter and the producer or A and R representative to get songs in the hands of artists who are looking for material. Yep. that's that's one. They also can push your music to television and commercial. It's a, they're an intermediator, intermediary for anybody who needs music. They're a song broker. That's basically it. Yeah. So if, if Ford says, I need a song about summertime and drinking yeah. beer on the back of a red pickup truck by a lake, and they then a publisher can say, here's a song that's recorded. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. That's recorded. Here's the recording of that song. You want to use it in your commercial? Say, oh, yeah, cool. All right, great. And then when they pay for that, the publisher keeps the publishing. They keep 50%, and then I, the writer, make 50% of however, whatever the deal is. When that commercial gets played, I might make $6, you know, whatever. Yep. And that will add up over time. If, you know, if a commercial runs for a quarter, then it might make several thousand dollars. Probably several thousands of thousands of dollars yeah, if you're it's a, big if it's enough a commercial. commercial. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> Um, to interject real quick, yeah, my heady headphones are about to die. 
So we may need to hold the touring for a third, for a, a part B to this, just throwing that out there. You know, honestly, I was kind of thinking that because I, I think we went, we've going been going a little further, already. a little deeper than I thought. So we might make this a part two. I think yeah. we're onto our last three of the industry. If we can, if your headphones can survive that long. I think they can. Love it. Uh, cool. Pressing forward. Final three. Uh, everybody hears this a lot. I think a lot of young artists, young bands, not even age young, but fresh bands always uh, are looking for this. And we can talk about why and if it's the right thing. But what's a manager, Tom? A manager is someone who looks out for your best interests in all business settings related to your musical career. They are your representative in the field of music. Every single, not every single thing we've listed so far, every single thing in the industry we've listed so far is going to have a personal relationship with your manager, your label executive, your A&R, your publisher. They are all going to have a relationship with your manager. Your manager is the boots on the ground for you in all instances. They can be the good guy or the bad guy depending on what you need them to be. And for their efforts, they receive a percentage of all monies you make. Usually 15 to 20 is the industry standard. Yep. Honestly, I feel like you put that really, really well. Uh, cool. Yeah, that was a really great definition. I think the only thing I'll throw onto that, we talked about it. I don't remember what episode. If I can figure it out, I'll link it. Uh, for those of you starting out, the, the manager can be your greatest asset uh, in your team, or yeah. it can honestly be the worst thing for your career if you have the wrong one. And It is probably the most important decision you will make. Yes. Be, yeah. Business-related, as I far agree. as personnel is concerned. Because, again, that is the person that people forget, like, okay, so if you're in a band, uh, mm-hmm. anybody, and you get to a point where you've got a crew and you tour and all this stuff, all of those people, you might be the nicest person in the world, but if your sound guy, the person that runs audio at your show, is a jerk to everybody that he works with when you're not even in the room, like you haven't even made it because they're setting up and you're working on other stuff or doing an interview, you haven't even made it to the stage to do a sound check, other people might think that you're going to be a jerk because of your crew. Uh, totally. You know, the people that work on your team are an extension of you. And with that, your manager, like Tom was saying, is going to be the person that is face-to-face, on the phone, working with more people than anybody on your team. They are the facilitator of most of your relationships, uh, and they their number one goal should be to help take you to the biggest artist you can be. That said, if you get yep. somebody that is slimy, uh, has bad business, treats people poorly, lies to people, even though you didn't do that, you know, you might not even know that this person is going behind your back, uh, being terrible to work with. It doesn't change the fact that everyone's going to be like, this artist sucks to work with because of their manager. Well, they're just not going to, yeah, they're not going to work with you. They're not even going to care what you're like. They're just not going to want to deal with your manager. Yeah, your manager so, should be absolutely honest, and I've always thought a good manager can should be a velvet hammer. It's mm, a good way to put that. Soft but firm. 
mm-hmm. like kind, but firm. Yep. And they should be prepared to be the heavy when they need to be. Yeah. And on the flip side, like Tom's saying with that velvet hammer, that is one of the things that's good because when you have to have tough conversations, it does allow them to kind of be the face of that when something has to be addressed that kind of keeps you at a distance as an artist or band so that people can still just love you for the music when somebody has to have that tough conversation. Totally. But at the end of the day, you just need to be aware and make sure that whoever is representing you and is being the business face of your brand, mm-hmm. just make sure that they're the right person and they're projecting uh, the image and kind of business that you want people to know you for. Absolutely. Moving forward, booking agent. A booking agent is the person who is scheduling your live shows. It's it's actually a pretty cut and dry job. To nope. They're the person who's booking your shows. And as a result, uh, or as payment for their efforts, they take a portion of all shows booked. Yep. Uh, I believe the industry standard last I checked was 10% of all shows booked. And they're going to work generally the bigger ones are going to work for a big uh agency like william morris endeavor or um caa yeah caa or or something like that so um yeah they're the person who books your shows and that's their their sole interest is getting you out of the house and playing as much as they can or it should be it absolutely is i will say the uh that is their job there's really nothing else to say about that but to kind of tack in with their uh some young bands have a misconception that, oh, if I get a deal with a booking agent, I'm magically going to be on tour. Uh, the other, this is one of those areas, like pretty much every area in music, if you don't put in the work, no one else has anything to work with to push further. All of these people, all of these roles we're talking about are not people that are like, oh, I'm going to create this from nothing. They're going to take what you have and try and accelerate that. Yeah. Uh, and... I personally know some bands that are amazing bands that are very talented, objectively have a great show, but never wanted to do the kind of crappy touring. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they got signed to a booking agency. And the people at the booking agency loved their band and wanted to get them on shows, but still struggled because they didn't have a following even though their music was great, even though their show was great because they had never done the boots on the ground thing and got out there and like made fans face to face. Uh, they can't sell your, you know, younger starting up band to Foo Fighters as they should be the opener. Cause at the end of the day, every band, like if I'm in the Foo Fighters, I'm going to bring you because you're also going to bring more people that I don't know who on the planet doesn't know Foo Fighters, but <laughs> Like right. your goal is to bring more people. Even if right. if the headliner can bring a thousand, you still need to be able to bring a hundred. It's not that like, oh, if they don't if the opener doesn't sell out the thing, like that's not the deal, but you can't be nobody and not bring anything, any form of value or people to fill out where you're playing. Well, that's how good booking agents package tours to begin with. It's all as we've said before on this show and probably continue to say for forever. Uh, it's all a numbers game. The mm-hmm. math has to always work out. And if uh, an artist or band is headlining a 5,000-seat venue, the opening opening act, it's a three-act uh, bill, and the bill is what they refer to as the list of artists or bands playing. If it's a three-act bill, the opening act is going to 
need to be good for 250 to 500 tickets. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to have at least 250 to 500 tickets that they will sell for people who want to see their band, mm-hmm. not just the headlining band, their band, who would come to their show even if they weren't playing with the headlining band. Yep. And that's how they put those packages together. Like, how many tickets are you good for? So I think it's important to say that in all of these industry things, everybody's work is equal to the amount of effort and work you're willing to put in. No one's going to work harder than you. How much value are you bringing? Right. It's really what get it comes down to. to work with. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Rounding it out. Final one for part one of who's who in the music biz. Publicist. A publicist. A publicist is a person who puts basically you into the eyeballs of the adoring public. They are working, they should be working tirelessly to get you into as many publications, interviews, uh, anything you can think of that would display your brand, your band, you as an artist. That's what they do. They draw upon their relationships to get you to play on late night TV, to get you in magazines, to get you reviewed in blogs, to get you interviewed in blogs, all these different things, any sort of press. That's Mm -hmm. what your publicist is in charge of. Yep. They are out there trying to manage your uh, visual perception out in the world. That's right. (laughs) And a publicist can't, a good publicist can be worth their weight in gold. Absolutely. A bad publicist is just a money pit. Really? And and again, we kind of touched on that, but I'll, I'll say it again. All of these things sound cool. And, and for the artist that's starting out at square one, you know, we want you to get to a point that these people are necessary for your career because you grow so far that you need them. All of that to be said, you don't have to have all of these pieces to be successful. You just have to make great music and put it out there and grow that and just keep doing it every single day. But don't do the rookie thing of, oh, well, we can't do anything till we have these people. That's not true. That's a false idea. And yeah. again, you will do so much more damage uh, bringing somebody on that's the wrong person that now has control over things that you do yeah. uh, because you were anxious or you just wanted to have a name behind you or you wanted to say that you had a manager or you wanted to say you had a booking agency. Because the problem is, you know, these contracts aren't forever per se, but they are going to be a year, two years, three years. And if you get stuck with, that's like being forced into a terrible dating relationship that you can't yeah. even break up with the person for three years. You're not allowed to date anybody <laughs> else for three years. It can be heartbreaking and it can be a career ender sometimes if you let it. So, so this, not to put the fear of God in anybody, but just yeah. be. Don't prioritize looking cool to have some of these relationships yes. over maintain as much ownership as what you do for as long as you can until you cannot handle it without bringing someone else on board. That's my advice. I do as much as you agree. can, keep as much as you can, unless you have to bring somebody else on board. And if you do only do it in a way that will five or 10 X what you're doing to make it worth it. Absolutely. Like you should, 
yeah, you should make 201% more than whatever you're making when you add any given piece. Yeah. And honestly, I would encourage you, this is a conversation for you and your lawyer, but if it's a first time with some of these relationships, uh, I would encourage you to put a section in your contract that is performance-based to where if the people that you're signing this contract with don't deliver uh, a certain amount of value in a certain amount of time, that you have a backdoor to get out of that because they didn't do what they said they were going to do. Just yeah. protect yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think. I think that's going to do it for this time because my headphones are just about to die. <laughs> I agree. And, uh, and honestly, it was there was a lot more to it than I think we thought there was going to be. Yeah. So we'll definitely do a part two of the who's who. And we may it may end up into a part three as well, because I'm sure that we'll think of other stuff to add uh, in the next one, too. So yeah. I hope this has been helpful for anybody who's at the beginning. And uh, yeah, thanks Absolutely. for listening and watching. And uh, we missed anybody or anything like that, tweet at us, let us know. Uh, yeah, but I guess we'll we'll talk to you guys next week. Ooh, pew, pew.